this begins part two of lady byron vindicated a history of the byron controversy by harriet beecher stowe this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter one lady byron as i knew her an editorial in the london times of september eighteenth says quote, the perplexing feature in this true story of lady byron's life is that it is impossible to distinguish what part of the article is the editress's and what lady byron's own we are given the impression made on mrs stowe's mind by lady byron's statements but it would have been more satisfactory if the statement itself had been reproduced as bare as possible and been left to make its own impression on the public End quote in reply to this i will say that in my article i gave a brief synopsis of the subject matter of lady byron's communications and i think it must be quite evident to the world that the main fact on which the story turns was one which could not possibly be misunderstood and the remembrance of which no lapse of time could ever weaken lady byron's communications were made to me in a language clear precise terrible and many of her phrases and sentences i could repeat at this day word for word but if i had reproduced them at first as the times suggests word for word the public horror and incredulity would have been doubled it was necessary that the brutality of the story should in some degree be veiled and softened the publication by lord lindsay of lady anne bernard's communication makes it now possible to tell fully and in lady byron's own words certain incidents that yet remain untold to me who know the whole history the revelations in lady anne's account and the story related by lady byron are like fragments of a dissected map they fit together piece by piece and form one connected whole in confirmation of the general facts of this interview i have the testimony of a sister who accompanied me on this visit and to whom immediately after it i recounted the story her testimony on the subject is as follows Quote, my dear sister i have a perfect recollection of going with you to visit lady byron at the time spoken of in your published article we arrived at her house in the morning and after lunch lady byron and yourself spent the whole time till evening alone together after we retired to our apartment that night you related to me the story given in your published account though with many more particulars than you have yet thought fit to give to the public you stated to me that lady byron was strongly impressed with the idea that it might be her duty to publish a statement during her lifetime and also the reasons which induced her to think so you appeared at that time quite disposed to think that justice required this step and asked my opinion we passed most of the night in conversation on the subject a conversation often resumed from time to time during several weeks in which you were considering what opinion to give i was strongly of opinion that justice required the publication of the truth but felt exceedingly averse to it being done by lady byron herself during her own lifetime when she personally would be subject to the comments and misconceptions of motives which would certainly follow such a communication your sister m f perkins End quote. 
i am now about to complete the account of my conversation with lady byron but as the credibility of a history depends greatly on the character of its narrator and as especial pains have been taken to destroy the belief in this story by representing it to be the wanderings of a broken-down mind in a state of dotage and mental hallucination i shall preface the narrative with some account of lady byron as she was during the time of our mutual acquaintance and friendship this account may perhaps be deemed superfluous in england where so many knew her but in america where from maine to california her character has been discussed and traduced it is of importance to give interested thousands an opportunity of learning what kind of a woman lady byron was her character as given by lord byron in his journal after her first refusal of him is this quote, she is a very superior woman a very little spoiled which is strange in an heiress a girl of twenty a peeress that is to be in her own right an only child and a savant who has always had her own way she is a poetess a mathematician a metaphysician yet withal very kind generous and gentle with very little pretension any other head would be turned with half her acquisitions and a tenth of her advantages such was lady byron at twenty i formed her acquaintance in the year eighteen fifty three during my first visit in england i met her at a lunch party in the house of one of her friends the party had many notables but among them all my attention was fixed principally on lady byron she was at this time sixty-one years of age but still had to a remarkable degree that personal attraction which is commonly considered to belong only to youth and beauty her form was slight giving an impression of fragility her motions were both graceful and decided her eyes bright and full of interest and quick observation her silvery white hair seemed to lend a grace to the transparent purity of her complexion and her small hands had a pearly whiteness i recollect she wore a plain widow's cap of a transparent material and was dressed in some delicate shade of lavender which harmonized well with her complexion when i was introduced to her i felt in a moment the words of her husband there was awe in the homage that she drew her spirit seemed as seated on a throne calm self-poised and thoughtful she seemed to me rather to resemble an interested spectator of the world's affairs than an actor involved in its trials yet the sweetness of her smile and a certain very delicate sense of humour in her remarks made the way of acquaintance easy her first remarks were a little playful but in a few moments we were speaking on what every one in those days was talking to me about the slavery question in america it need not be remarked that when any one subject especially occupies the public mind those known to be interested in it are compelled to listen to many weary platitudes lady byron's remarks however caught my ear and arrested my attention by their peculiar incisive quality their originality and the evidence they gave that she was as well informed on all our matters as the best american statesman could be i had no wearisome course to go over with her as to the difference between the general government and the state governments nor explanations of the united states constitution for she had the whole before her mind with a perfect clearness 
her morality upon the slavery question too impressed me as something far higher and deeper than the common sentimentalism of the day many of her words surprised me greatly and gave me new material for thought i found i was in company with a commanding mind and hastened to gain instruction from her on another point where my interest had been aroused i had recently been much excited by kingsley's novels alton locke and yeast on the position of religious thought in england from these works i had gathered that under the apparent placid uniformity of the established church of england and of good society as founded on it there was moving a secret current of speculative inquiry doubt and dissent but i had met as yet with no person among my various acquaintances in england who seemed either aware of this fact or able to guide my mind respecting it the moment i mentioned the subject to lady byron i received an answer which showed me that the whole ground was familiar to her and that she was capable of giving me full information she had studied with careful thoughtfulness all the social and religious tendencies of england during her generation one of her remarks has often since occurred to me speaking of the oxford movement she said the time had come when the english church could no longer remain as it was it must either restore the past or create a future the oxford movement attempted the former and of the future she was beginning to speak when our conversation was interrupted by the presentation of other parties subsequently in reply to a note from her on some benevolent business i alluded to that conversation and expressed a wish that she would finish giving me her views of the religious state of england a portion of the letter she wrote me in reply i insert as being very characteristic in many respects Quote, various causes have been assigned for the decaying state of the english church which seems the more strange because the clergy have improved morally and intellectually in the last twenty years then why should their influence be diminished i think it is owing to the diffusion of a spirit of free inquiry doubts have arisen in the minds of many who are unhappily bound by subscription not to doubt and in consequence they are habitually pretending either to believe or to disbelieve the state of denmark cannot but be rotten when to seem is the first object of the witness of truth they may lead better lives and bring forward abler arguments but their efforts are paralyzed by that unsoundness i see the high churchman professing to believe in the existence of a church when the most palpable facts must show him that no such church exists the low churchman professing to believe in exceptional interpositions which his philosophy secretly questions the broad churchman professing as absolute an attachment to the established church as the narrowest could feel while he is preaching such principles as will at last pull it down i ask you my friend whether there would not be more faith as well as earnestness if all would speak out there would be more unanimity too because they would all agree in a certain basis would not a wider love supersede the creed-bound charity of sects i am aware that i have touched on a point of difference between us and i will not regret it for i think the differences of mind are analogous to those differences of nature which in the most comprehensive survey are the very elements of harmony 
i am not at all prone to put forth my own opinions but the tone in which you have written to me claims an unusual degree of openness on my part i look upon creeds of all kinds as chains far worse chains than those you would break as the causes of much hypocrisy and infidelity i hold it to be a sin to make any child say i believe lead it to utter that belief spontaneously i also consider the institution of an exclusive priesthood though having been of service in some respects as retarding the progress of christianity at present i desire to see a lay ministry i will not give you more of my heterodoxy at present perhaps i need your pardon connected as you are with the church for having said so much there are causes of decay known to be at work in my frame which lead me to believe i may not have time to grow wiser and i must therefore leave it to others to correct the conclusions i have now formed from my life's experience i should feel happy to discuss them personally with you for it would be soul to soul in that confidence i am yours most truly a i noel byron it is not necessary to prove to the reader that this letter is not in the style of a broken-down old woman subject to mental hallucinations it shows lady byron's habits of clear searching analysis her thoughtfulness and above all that peculiar reverence for truth and sincerity which was a leading characteristic of her moral nature footnote the reader is here referred to lady byron's other letters in part three which also show the peculiarly active and philosophical character of her mind and the class of subjects on which she habitually dwelt and footnote it also shows her views of the probable shortness of her stay on earth derived from the opinion of physicians about her disease which was a gradual ossification of the lungs it has been asserted that pulmonary diseases while they slowly and surely sap the physical life often appear to give added vigor to the play of the moral and intellectual powers i parted from lady byron feeling richer in that i had found one more pearl of great price on the shore of life three years after this i visited england to obtain a copyright for the issue of my novel dread the hope of once more seeing lady byron was one of the brightest anticipations held out to me in this journey i found london quite deserted but hearing that lady byron was still in town i sent to her saying in my note that in case she was not well enough to call i would visit her her reply i give quote, my dear friend i will be indebted to you for our meeting as i am barely able to leave my room it is not a time for small personalities if they ever could exist with you and dressed or undressed i shall hope to see you after two o'clock yours very truly a i noel byron i found lady byron in her sick room that place which she made so different from the chamber of ordinary invalids her sick-room seemed only a telegraphic station whence her vivid mind was flashing out all over the world by her bedside stood a table covered with books pamphlets and files of letters all arranged with exquisite order and each expressing some of her varied interests from that sick-bed she still directed with systematic care her various works of benevolence and watched with intelligent attention the course of science literature and religion 
and the versatility and activity of her mind the flow of brilliant and penetrating thought on all the topics of the day gave to the conversations of her retired room a peculiar charm you forgot that she was an invalid for she rarely had a word of her own personalities and the charm of her conversation carried you invariably from herself to the subjects of which she was thinking all the new books the literature of the hour were lighted up by her keen searching yet always kindly criticism and it was charming to get her fresh genuine clear-cut modes of expression so different from the world-worn phrases of what is called good society her opinions were always perfectly clear and positive and given with the freedom of one who has long stood in a position to judge the world and its ways from her own standpoint but it was not merely in general literature and science that her heart lay it was following always with eager interest the progress of humanity over the whole world this was the period of the great battle for liberty in kansas the english papers were daily filled with the thrilling particulars of that desperate struggle and lady byron entered with heart and soul into it her first letter to me at this time is on this subject it was while dread was going through the press cambridge terrace august fifteenth my dear mrs stowe Messrs. chambers liked the proposal to publish the kansas letters the more the public know of these matters the better prepared they will be for your book the moment for its publication seems well chosen there is always in england a floating fund of sympathy for what is above the everyday sordid cares of life and these better feelings so nobly invested for the past two years in florence nightingale's career are just set free to what will they next be attached if you can lay hold of them they may bring about a deeper abolition than any legislative one the abolition of the heart heresy that man's worth comes not from god but from man i have been obliged to give up exertion again but hope soon to be able to call and make the acquaintance of your daughters in case you wish to consult h martineau's pamphlets i send more copies do not think of answering i have occupied too much of your time in reading yours affectionately a i noel byron as soon as a copy of dread was through the press i sent it to her saying that i had been reproved by some excellent people for representing too faithfully the profane language of some of the wicked characters to this she sent the following reply quote, your book dear mrs stowe is of the little leaven kind and must prove a great moral force perhaps not manifestly so much as secretly and yet i can hardly conceive so much power without immediate and sensible effects only there will be a strong disposition to resist on the part of all hollow-hearted professors of religion whose heathenisms you so unsparingly expose they have a class feeling like others to the young and to those who do not reflect much on what is offered to their belief you will do great good by showing how spiritual food is often adulterated the bread from heaven is in the same case as baker's bread if there is truth in what i heard lord byron say that works of fiction live only by the amount of truth which they contain your story is sure of a long life of the few critics i have seen the best is in the examiner 
i find an obtuseness as to the spirit and aim of the book as if you had designed to make the best novel of the season or to keep up the reputation of one you are reproached as walter scott was with too much scriptural quotation not that i have heard with phrases of an opposite character the effects of such reading till a late hour one evening appeared to influence me very singularly in a dream the most horrible spectres presented themselves and i awoke in an agony of fear but a faith still stronger arose and i became courageous from trust in god and felt calm did you do this it is very insignificant among the many things you certainly will do unknown to yourself i know more than ever before how to value communion with you i have sent robertson's sermons for you and with kind regards to your family am yours affectionately a i noel byron i was struck in this note with the mention of lord byron and the next time i saw her alluded to it and remarked upon the peculiar qualities of his mind as shown in some of his more serious conversations with dr kennedy she seemed pleased to continue the subject and went on to say many things of his singular character and genius more penetrating and more appreciative than is often met with among critics i told her that i had been from childhood powerfully influenced by him and began to tell her how much as a child i had been affected by the news of his death giving up all my plays and going off to a lonely hillside where i spent the afternoon thinking of him she interrupted me before i had quite finished with a quick impulsive movement i know all that she said i heard it all from mrs Blank and it was one of the things that made me wish to know you i think you could understand him we talked for some time of him then she with her pale face slightly flushed speaking as any other great man's widow might only of what was purest and best in his works and what were his undeniable virtues and good traits especially in early life she told me many pleasant little speeches made by him to herself and though there was running through all this a shade of melancholy one could never have conjectured that there were under all any deeper recollections than the circumstances of an ordinary separation might bring not many days after with the unselfishness which was so marked a trait with her she chose a day when she could be out of her room and invited our family party consisting of my husband sister and children to lunch with her what showed itself especially in this interview was her tenderness for all young people she had often inquired after mine asked about their characters habits and tastes and on this occasion she found an opportunity to talk with each one separately and to make them all feel at ease so that they were able to talk with her she seemed interested to point out to them what they should see and study in london and the charm of her conversation left on their minds an impression that subsequent years have never effaced i record this incident because it shows how little lady byron assumed the privileges or had the character of an invalid absorbed in herself and likely to brood over her own woes and wrongs here was a family of strangers stranded in a dull season in london and there was no manner of obligation upon her to exert herself to show them attention 
her state of health would have been an all-sufficient reason why she should not do it and her doing it was simply a specimen of that unselfish care for others even down to the least detail of which her life was full a little while after at her request i went with my husband and son to pass an evening at her house there were a few persons present whom she thought i should be interested to know a miss goldsmid daughter of baron goldsmid and lord ockham her grandson eldest son and heir of the earl of lovelace to whom she introduced my son i had heard much of the eccentricities of this young nobleman and was exceedingly struck with his personal appearance his bodily frame was of the order of the farness hercules a wonderful development of physical and muscular strength his hands were those of a blacksmith he was broadly and squarely made with a finely shaped head and dark eyes of surpassing brilliancy i have seldom seen a more interesting combination than his whole appearance presented when all were engaged in talking lady byron came and sat down by me and glancing across to lord ockham and my son who were talking together she looked at me and smiled i immediately expressed my admiration of his fine eyes and the intellectual expression of his countenance and my wonder at the uncommon muscular development of his frame she said that that of itself would account for many of ockham's eccentricities he had a body that required a more vigorous animal life than his station gave scope for and this had often led him to seek it in what the world calls low society that he had been to sea as a sailor and was now working as a mechanic on the ironwork of the great eastern he had laid aside his title and went in daily with the other workmen requesting them to call him simply ockham i said that there was something to my mind very fine about this even though it might show some want of proper balance she said he had noble traits and that she felt assured he would yet accomplish something worthy of himself Quote, the great difficulty with our nobility is apt to be that they do not understand the working classes so as to feel for them properly and ockham is now going through an experience which may yet fit him to do great good when he comes to the peerage i am trying to influence him to do good among the workmen and to interest himself in schools for their children i think she added i have great influence over ockham the greater perhaps that i never make any claim to authority this conversation is very characteristic of lady byron as showing her benevolent analysis of character and the peculiar hopefulness she always had in regard to the future of every one brought in connection with her her moral hopefulness was something very singular and in this respect she was so different from the rest of the world that it would be difficult to make her understood her tolerance of wrong-doing would have seemed to many quite latitudinarian and impressed them as if she had lost all just horror of what was morally wrong in transgression but it seemed her fixed habit to see faults only as diseases and immaturities and to expect them to fall away with time she saw the germs of good in what others regarded as only evil she expected valuable results to come from what the world looked on only as eccentricities and she incessantly devoted herself to the task of guarding those whom the world condemned and guiding them to those higher results of which she often thought that even their faults were prophetic before i quit this sketch of lady byron as i knew her i will give one more of her letters 
my return from that visit in europe was met by the sudden death of the grandson mentioned in the foregoing account at the time of this sorrow lady byron was too unwell to write to me the letter given alludes to this event and speaks also of two colored persons of remarkable talent in whose career in england she had taken a deep interest one of them is the friend she speaks of london february sixth eighteen fifty nine quote, dear mrs stowe i seem to feel our friendship as a bridge over which our broken outward communication can be renewed without effort why broken the words i would have uttered at one time were like drops of blood from my heart now i sympathize with the calmness you have gained and can speak of your loss as i do of my own loss and restoration are more and more linked in my mind but to the present live as long as they are in god's world they are in ours i ask no other consolation mrs w s recovery has astonished me and her husband's prospects give me great satisfaction they have achieved a benefit to their colored people she had a mission which her burning soul has worked out almost in defiance of death but who is called without being crucified man or woman i know of none i fear that h martineau was too sanguine in her persuasion that the slave power had received a serious check from the ruin of so many of your mammon worshippers with the return of commercial facilities that article of commerce will again find purchasers enough to raise its value not that way is the iniquity to be overthrown a deeper moral earthquake is needed footnote alluding to the financial crisis in the united states in eighteen fifty seven and footnote we english had ours in india and though the cases are far from being alike yet a consciousness of what we ought to have been and ought to be towards the natives could not have been awakened by less than the reddened waters of the ganges so i fear you will have to look on a day of judgment worse than has been painted as to all the frauds and impositions which have been disclosed by the failures what a want of a sense of personal responsibility they show it seems to be thought that association will cover a multitude of sins as if and company could enter heaven a firm may be described as a partnership for lowering the standard of morals even ecclesiastical bodies are not free from the and company very different from the goodly fellowship of the apostles the better class of young gentlemen in england are seized with a medieval mania to which ruskin has contributed much the chief reason for regretting it is that taste is made to supersede benevolence the money that would save thousands from perishing or suffering must be applied to raise the gothic edifice where their last prayer may be uttered charity may be dead while art has glorified her this is worse than catholicism which cultivates heart and eye together the first cathedral was truth at the beginning of the fourth century just as christianity was exchanging a heavenly for an earthly crown true religion may have to cast away the symbol for the spirit before the kingdom can come while i am speculating to little purpose perhaps you are doing what might not a biography from your pen bring forth again some great half-obscured soul to act on the world even sir philip sidney ought to be superseded by a still nobler type 
this must go immediately to be in time for the bearer of whose meeting with you i shall think as the friend of both may it be happy your affectionate a i n b one letter more from lady byron i give the last i received from her london may third eighteen fifty nine dear friend i have found particularly as to yourself that if i did not answer from the first impulse all had evaporated your letter came by the niagara which brought fanny kimball to learn the loss of her best friend miss f whom you saw at my house her death after an illness in which she was to the last a minister of good to others is a sole loss to me also and your remarks are most appropriate to my feelings i have been taught however to accept survivorship even to feel it in some cases heaven's best blessing i have an intense interest in your new novel the minister's wooing more power in these few numbers than in any of your former writings relating at least to my own mind it would amuse you to hear my granddaughter and myself attempting to foresee the future of the love story being for the moment quite persuaded that james is at sea and the minister about to ruin himself we think that mary will labor to be in love with the self-devoted man under her mother's influence and from that hyper-conscientiousness so common with good girls but we don't wish her to succeed then what is to become of her older lover time will show the lady you desired to introduce to me will be welcomed as of you she has been misled with respect to my having any house in yorkshire new leeds i am in london now to be of little use to a not ostensibly for i can neither go out nor give parties but i am the confidential friend to whom she likes to bring her social gatherings as she can see something of the world with others age and infirmity seem to be overlooked in what she calls the harmony between us not perfect agreement of opinion which i should regret with almost fifty years of difference but the spirit union can you say what it is i am interrupted by a note from mrs k she says that she cannot write of our lost friend yet though she is less sad than she will be mrs f may like to hear of her arrival should you be in communication with our friend she is the type of youth in age i often converse with miss s a judicious friend of the w's about what is likely to await them she would not succeed here as well as where she was a novelty the character of our climate this year has been injurious to the respiratory organs but i hope still to serve them i have just missed dale owen with whom i wish to have conversed on spiritualism harris is lecturing here on religion i do not hear him praised people are looking for helps to believe everywhere but in life in music in architecture in antiquity in ceremony and upon all these is written thou shalt not believe at least if this be faith happier the unbeliever i am willing to see through that materialism but if i am to rest there i would rend the veil june first the day of the packet's sailing i shall hope to be visited by you here the best flowers sent me have been placed in your little vases giving life to the remembrance of you though not like them to pass away ever yours a i noel byron End quote. 
shortly after i was in england again and had one more opportunity of resuming our personal intercourse the first time that i called on lady byron i saw her in one of those periods of utter physical exhaustion to which she was subject on account of the constant pressure of cares beyond her strength all who knew her will testify that in a state of health which would lead most persons to become helpless absorbents of service from others she was assuming burdens and making outlays of her vital powers in acts of love and service with a generosity that often reduced her to utter exhaustion but none who knew or loved her ever misinterpreted the coldness of those seasons of exhaustion we knew that it was not the spirit that was chilled but only the frail mortal tabernacle when i called on her this time she could not see me at first and when at last she came it was evident that she was in a state of utter prostration her hands were like ice her face was deadly pale and she conversed with a restraint and difficulty which showed what exertion it was for her to keep up at all i left as soon as possible with an appointment for another interview that interview was my last on earth with her and is still beautiful in memory it was a long still summer afternoon spent alone with her in a garden where we walked together she was enjoying one of those bright intervals of freedom from pain and languor in which her spirits always rose so buoyant and youthful and her eyes brightened and her steps became elastic one last little incident is cherished as most expressive of her when it became time for me to leave she took me in her carriage to the station as we were almost there i missed my gloves and said i must have left them but there is no time to go back with one of those quick impulsive motions which were so natural to her in doing a kindness she drew off her own and said take mine if they will serve you i hesitated a moment and then the thought that i might never see her again came over me and i said oh yes thanks that was the last earthly word of love between us but thank god those who love worthily never meet for the last time there is always a future this ends part two chapter one lady byron as i knew her read for you by michelle fry baton rouge louisiana